Come together, praise God, and worship Jesus. Uh, this morning is glorious um, because it's the day that the Lord has made, right? So let us rejoice and be glad in it. So um, before we get into the message, I have a few things to go over with you. Um, just some announcements for you. Uh, number one, we were uh, blessed by Riverside City Mission with some uh, bags of food, non-perishable items. Uh, what we want to do is open it up to the church first. So if there's anyone who is in need or any family that's in need, I would, I would ask you um, to come and let us know. And we would love to um, bless you as we've been blessed um, with a, a bag of food. So we have that available. Um, after that, we'll open it up to the community and uh, look for people that, that are in need um, among us in, in the community. So that's what we have. Also want to remind you... Um, Youths, uh, those who are in uh, junior high and high school uh, age, that we have a a youth pool party coming up on Friday, August 21st. So that's at 6.30 p.m. So that's at the Montana residence. And that would be my wife and I and Isaiah's house. And so we would love to have you over uh, and enjoy that time. Please RSVP, though, uh, to Jamie by August 16th. So that way we have a good count of who's coming. And so we can be prepared for that, um, that gathering. We also have women's prayer this coming Saturday, and that's at 8 a.m. So August 15th, uh, make a note on your calendar, and uh, so that's this Saturday, and that will be taking place at 8 a.m. right here. Uh, we also have this evening a youth parent meeting at 6.30. Um, so everyone who has uh, kids of junior high and high school age, come on out for that. And right after that, it's open to the whole church and anyone else who would like to come out. We have a video presentation uh, that is uh, titled Digital Cocaine. Um, And uh, so it's it's a great video to basically get a good perspective and an idea of the impact that uh, technology has not only on our youth, but on us as well. So I would invite you and encourage you to come out tonight. Now, I don't know if uh, any of you have been keeping up with what's happening in our world today and within the, the church here in California. We have a pastor by the name of Rob McCoy of Calvary Chapel of Thousand Oaks um, who was served with an injunction um, to uh, basically stop all services. And um, so he, along with myself, and um, any other pastor who uh, is uh, basically not adhering to the orders um, that have been placed upon us, uh, we do so not because we're in direct, uh, we, we desire to, and in our whole purpose is to defy the governor and any, any of his orders, but it's our heart, please understand this, our heart is to be in obedience to the Lord above all. So as far as what's happening, I pl- please pray. We're going to pray right now for Rob McCoy and uh, the church there because they, they were set to uh, find, to arrest, whatever it is that they had to do uh, to make a statement there. Um, but not only pray for the, the church, but know that whether it's right in their eyes, they can judge whether it's right to obey the Lord or not. I'm fine with that. I really am. I'm at peace with that. They can judge. But as for me, I will obey the Lord. We're at that point, folks, where it's getting serious. We're going to find, I told you from the very beginning, I keep telling, I want to remind you, the church is being sifted. The church is being tried. The church is being purified, but I believe, I believe that the church is being strengthened. I pray that when we come through this, which we will, that the church will no longer be attractive to the outside with anything other than with the gift of salvation by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That the very word itself is enough. That the fellowship gathered together in the name of Jesus is enough to keep families and youth 
and the elderly together, all under one roof, as one family, and it has nothing to do with who's up on the stage, what name is up here, the music or anything else. It's not entertainment. It's not any, anything else but the very word of God that we come together and enjoy fellowship in his name, that we are stronger, pure, and holy, unblemished before God, who is righteous and holy. Will you stand? Will, will you? No, I'm, I'm just asking. It's a hypothetical. But, <laughs> but in a way, I am asking that question. Who's willing to stand in these days? Today? Who's willing to obey the Lord over man? Who's willing to do that? Who's willing to gather together without fear? Because there's a lot of fear out there. There's a lot of fear. We need to be bold. We need to be confident in the Lord. Knowing that whether we live or die, it's all to the glory of God. For to live is Christ and to die is gain. So let us live for Christ. Truly, confidently. Live for Christ. Boldly, confident in him. I am going to ask if, if you, and only stand for this, all right? This is just a public declaration uh, of our unity together as a church, and we're going to pray for Rob McCoy right now and for the church as a whole. So whoever's in agreement to do that very thing, stand to your feet, and let's pray. Father, you tell us that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. So be it. That's your word. And so we believe. We stand on your word. I pray, Father, that as your people, we would be counted faithful. Lord, that we would not compromise to men, but we would solely give ourselves to being obedient to you, giving you glory, blessing you, and standing together shoulder to shoulder, united in Christ Jesus, who is our Lord and Savior. We lift up Rob McCoy right now to you. We ask that your will be done. Of course, we ask for protection. But Lord, we were reminded that even when you told Peter that Satan was going to basically come after him, that he was going to be sifted. Jesus having full power and control, being sovereign, to protect Peter from anything that came against him from the devil. Lord, you did not withhold the devil's hand. But you allowed that so that it would serve a greater purpose. So that when Peter is restored, that he would strengthen the brethren. And so he did. If it is your will that Rob McCoy and anyone else, any other pastors, have to go through trials and tribulations, through arrests and other actions taken against the church on behalf of the state. I say, Lord, with great confidence, so be it. Because you will still be glorified. And you will give us words to speak before the magistrates. Because your word tells us that that's what you're going to do. I pray and hope that you have mercy mercy on this nation. I pray, Lord, 
that you would use us as your people to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, that there will be revival in the hearts of the church, and, and Lord, that more people would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. For that's where the answer is. It's not in government. It's not in who's president or who's the governor or anything else. It lies in one man, Jesus Christ. And so I pray, Father, that you would be with us this morning. You would guide and direct us, that we would bless you, worship you, without any reservations. We thank you, Lord, for inclining your ear to us. May we give our hearts to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You know, we always um, desire and we ask that the Lord be with us, right? We uh, would desire that. And we know that he is wherever we go. He says he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He loves us with an everlasting love. We know that to be true. But can I tell you another truth? What would you say if Satan was among us? Would you believe that? Would you believe that um, some of his minions are among us? Because it is very likely that they are. How would you respond knowing those things? Because the enemy, he prowls around roaring like a, like a lion. And what he desires to do is, is devour us and destroy us. He does not like this. And even though we pray for protection, even though we pray for God's presence, just know, and it's evident, and I might say it's exemplified by our actions in how we respond within the body that not only is the Lord among us, but so is Satan. It's up to you whether you allow him to do his little dirty destructive work or not. Are you going to allow that this morning? If you knew that that was true, how much closer would you pay attention to the very word that's going to be proclaimed this morning? Would you lean in a little bit more? Would you be guarded in what your thoughts are? Would you be thinking about your neighbor or would you be thinking about yourself? This is actually what takes place every Sunday. It's a sobering thought, but it's a sobering reality, and it is true. I hope that you're not thinking about lunch. I hope you're not thinking about what you're going to do tomorrow. For this very moment is a moment that God has given to us. Let us take full advantage of this moment. I stand up here not giving my opinion. I stand up here not giving you my experience. What I stand up here delivering to you is the word of God, the good news of Jesus Christ. And so therefore, let us reverence the Lord and his word, doing everything we can to not fall asleep, to not allow our minds to go every which way, to be responsible with the time that we have. And if you do feel a little tired, I know we joke around about it, but I tell you, I'm not delivering a joke here. I'm not delivering a light message. I'm not delivering a word of entertainment for you. Take responsibility for yourself and stand up. Do whatever you can to pay full attention to what's about to be spoken because it's for you. And it's from the Lord himself. Salvation and disputes is what we're talking about this morning. We continue from last week's message, and we're in Acts chapter 15. Let's start out by reading in Acts chapter 15, the first five verses. 
which says, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Heavenly Father, once again, we ask for your blessing upon this time that we have together to study your word, Lord, to hear the very voice of God. And I pray, Father, that you would allow it to resonate in our hearts, that you would give us understanding by the teaching of the Holy Spirit, that we would apply it to our lives, to your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's some questions. How can both Jews and Gentiles be God's people without Gentiles observing the Mosaic law? And if Gentiles are not obligated to observe the Mosaic law or the Levitical laws of purity, but are considered God's people, would Jews then be required to abandon their observances of the law in order to be God's people also? Think about this, because this is something that perhaps comes into the mind at times when we read through the Word of God. Where is it that I stand? What is it that I need to do? What should I observe? What, what, what do I have the liberty to not observe? You know, these are questions that we ask ourselves. Because these questions, in other words, say this. Do you have to become a Jew in order to be a Christ follower, a Christian? And if not, then do you have to abandon being a Jew to become a Christian? Well, the Jerusalem Council gathered together to consider this matter. And as we learned last week, there were men who had come from Judea, as we read, who were teaching, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And so we know this was a very serious matter. And this was a, a serious matter because it had to do with salvation. It was just, just not something that we could agree to disagree on and move on. It had to do with salvation. So it had to be concluded. Because some Jews were saying that the Gentiles that were coming to faith had to be circumcised in order to be saved, to be considered saved, to be brought into being the people of God. What does Ephesians 2, 8, 9 mean for, for salvation? And if this is true, then what does this say of the observance of the Mosaic law for the Jews? Uh, just so we understand, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So this speaks of salvation, that it's not by works, not by anything that we do, but it's a gift of God. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That's it, period. So what we see is a dispute arise over this very issue. What we also see here is the proper way to handle it in different ways in which both Jews and Gentiles can receive and possess salvation personally. And next week, we will deal with the last few verses of this chapter in, in the, uh, the issue that came about between Paul and Barnabas in regards to John Mark. But for now, let's deal with what we have before us, the issue of salvation. The issue of salvation, let's get us back up to where uh, we'll, we'll briefly go through what we went over last week, and then we'll get us to where we are today. I read verses 1 through 5. Uh, Paul and Barnabas, after having debated with the Jewish brothers who were insisting that the Gentiles had to observe the law of Moses to be saved, were sent to Jerusalem, as we know, to bring the matter before the apostles and the elders. They arrived. They were received well. They were telling of all of what God had done through them to the Gentiles and with the Gentiles, leading them to salvation 
and they were enjoying being brought in as God's people. But there were brothers from the party of the Pharisees that rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. And so this shifted the discussion from bringing testimony of what God had done in and amongst the Gentiles to now dealing with the issue that they went to Jerusalem to settle. The issue was debated among the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. So this wasn't taken lightly with them. They, they dealt with this, and it was a very serious matter. And so they discussed it. They went back and forth. This speaks of humility, by the way. When a leadership can sit down and discuss an important matter, it should always be an open dialogue, a discussion. It should be considered in light of Scripture. On the one hand, you have the Judaizers who were saying that they were willing to accept the Gentile believers. But, but, there was a condition. They had to observe the Mosaic Law in order to be accepted as true believers. On the other hand, you have Gentiles who had initially thought that they could just add Jesus to their list of gods to help them to be right with God. I told you last week that we have an inclination to do that. And and the way we prove it is where we place our trust. It's God and, or perhaps it's, it's all of those things and God. Well, we have evidence of that by the way we respond to life, the circumstances that we're faced with, the the difficulties in life. When we lose hope, as Christians, we need to ask ourselves the question, where is our trust? Where is our hope? Because for the Apostle Paul, he knew he, knew he, he had learned to be content in any state. You know, what would happen if you lost everything? If you lost your possessions, your house, your livelihood, if you lost your family, if you lost everything that you found purpose in and you were found with nothing, would you curse God? Would you blame him? Would you shake your fist at him? The story sounds familiar, doesn't it? It's a story of Job. And yet he did not curse God. Why? Because God was God in his life. He was Lord of all. He's either Lord of all or not at all. So we are tested. We are tried. And when we lose things, when we lose people, we are tested. What's revealed in your life really tells of who God, who your God is. Were you placing your hope in the things around you? In your job, in your bank account, and others? Or in the Lord? Because as Gentiles, we have a tendency to add God to the list of gods that we have. You name it. Sports, possessions, <laughs> Sports, let's talk, can we talk about sports? You ever heard of fanatics? Oh, it's okay to be a sports fanatic, isn't it? And this is not going off on a tangent. This, is, this applies to what we have before us right here. Oh, we can, you know, uh, you know uh, thicker men are willing to take off their shirts and, and paint their bellies with their colors and be made fool to look like fools in the stands of their favorite football team. Oh, but come to church? Oh, no. Oh, Lord. Yeah, we can't even raise our hands. You know, it's like we can barely stand. Oh, but we go to a football game, a baseball game, a hockey game, a soccer game. Oh, and we are just raving lunatics, aren't we? Think about that. Think about the time that you spend in the things that you like. How much time do you spend 
in those things? And, and does it even compare with the time that you spend with the Lord? I, I speak this to our own shame. Oh, fellow believers, we can add God to a list of idols that we have so that perhaps through that we would be okay before a holy and righteous God. That, that's not good. He should be Lord of all. He should be first and foremost. We should spend time in his word, at his feet, in prayer, in fellowship with other saints. That should be first and foremost. So this issue was being discussed between the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem. This issue of salvation. But now we go on to the judgment according to Scripture. Verses 6 through 11, as we continue, says the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. Again, I know we went through this last week, but... We need to go through this in order to get us to the place we are and continue this account. The apostles and elders again took this under serious consideration and discussed the issue. They were listening attentively and silently to Peter as he spoke. They were willing to debate for an extended period of time. But ultimately, Scripture had to be the basis of their judgment and not human opinion, not human philosophy, not human tradition or religious tradition, or even experience. So after a while of debating, Peter spoke and made reference to what he had come to know personally and explained to them what God had revealed to him and what they already knew. Salvation had come to the Gentiles. In Acts chapter 10, this is what God revealed to Peter. And then he went to the household of Cornelius, and and Cornelius and all of his household was saved, and they were baptized. And he stayed with them for some time to teach him. God makes no distinction among men regarding salvation. Praise God for that. And the giving of the Holy Spirit is for all who believe in Jesus Christ and receive him as Lord and Savior. Their hearts are cleansed by faith and not by the keeping of the law. And to insist, as Peter said, on anything more than what God had declared for salvation is actually putting God to the test requiring the Gentiles to observe something that's been impossible for the Jews to keep perfectly. They knew that. And now you're going to require them to keep the Mosaic law in order to be saved when you couldn't do it? No, Peter stated once more that God's salvation is through the grace of the Lord Jesus. And all are saved in this manner. And because this is true, there's no need to submit to and keep the ceremonies found in the law of Moses in order to be saved and be made right with God. So Christians are saved by faith, but are also purified by faith. And as I said after Peter spoke, the assembly was absolutely silent, demonstrating their willingness to listen and to consider what Peter was saying. And then verse 12, it says, And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul, as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. So now now was Paul and Barnabas' turn to testify of what Peter had been referring to and what had been accomplished up to that point through Paul and Barnabas. They supported what Peter had just said. That salvation had come to them by faith. God had received them as his people. Not because of the works that they perhaps were doing, converting to Judaism, but they were Gentiles 
upon whom salvation had visited by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And they trusted in his finished work on the cross. Is this not the message God had for Peter in that vision in Acts chapter 10? This is the exact thing. What God has made clean, do not call common. So if God has made them clean, Peter was telling them and Paul and Barnabas were confirming that this was indeed true and it was taking place, that there was no way that others should call them common either. If God had made them, his people, by faith, having thus been purified and saved by their faith, then who is anyone to say different? And then we have James. We go from Peter to Paul and Barnabas and now to James. And verse 13 says, After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon, that is Peter, has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore... My judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. So James is not the Apostle James, but James is the brother of Jesus. He's also known as James the Just. This is who is speaking there within the council in Jerusalem. And in these verses, James made some sobering statements, sobering to the Jews. And James addressed the manner in which salvation had first come to the Gentiles through Peter, just as Peter had stated. And he affirmed his belief that this was true. The question is, how did he come to this conclusion? Did he perhaps, as the... um, as the head of that council, as the administrator, by some authority, was he concluding this just of his own opinion because he felt that it was the right thing to do? Did he just choose to do to believe because he had the authority to do so? What was it based on? I believe we should pay close attention to the answer to these questions because this should be how we consider and conclude what is of God and what is not of God. Because really, that's what they were determining. Is this of God or is it not of God? Sometimes we fail to consider him at all in our decisions when we should be considering him above all again, again, again. Perhaps sometimes we don't look outside ourselves for that which is really important in our lives as far as holding them up as as being gods in our lives. But sometimes and oftentimes we look to ourselves. We want to make our own opinions and judgments based on our own preferences when we should be considering the Lord above all, even ourselves. James also stated that God had taken from the Gentiles a people for his name. How do you know this? First, let's talk about people and nations. Because he used these words on purpose. You see, the Jews had always considered themselves to be God's people and Gentiles to be nations. They never considered themselves to be part of the nations. They were a separate people unto God. And James was using that very same verbiage to say that God had had taken from the Gentiles a people for himself. Wait a minute. So now that's in reference to the Gentiles, that they were taken out from among the Gentiles and made to be a people just like the Jews for the Lord 
Yes, that's what he was saying. So to them, it must have been sobering. It was, it, was, it was somewhat shocking to them that James would use this type of terminology to describe the Gentiles. If God had accepted the Gentile believers, why wouldn't the Jews? Bringing us back to the truth. God's word saying we are saved by grace through faith. In Jesus Christ, not by works, not by the works of the law, the observance of the law, the rituals, the ceremonies, the religious acts, none of that. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And James goes on to quote Amos 9, 11, and 12 to support his conclusion. If we can't find scripture to back up what we conclude on, then it's a faulty conclusion. Because there is a thing such as, there is, there's such a thing as absolute truth. We need to look to the word of, of God. And, and when we conclude, we need to look to the word and like, oh, well, is what we conclude based on the word of God? This is what James did. He referred to Amos 9, 11, and 12. And we can go to other verses as well and support this very conclusion. But he pointed to that. He pointed to these verses to prove that God had stated that salvation would come to the Gentiles. Just one section of Scripture, just two verses, that's enough. Because you know that if God says it in this place right here, then it's consistent throughout the Word of God. Sometimes we make such a big deal. This is what I love. Maybe I just think too simply. I don't know. If God says it in one area, we'll see it throughout Scripture. But I don't have to be looking all over the place in order to figure out and determine whether that's true or not. You understand what I'm saying? If God says it in those two verses, it's good enough for me. It'll just be supported by the other verses throughout Scripture. James didn't have to go to this lengthy explanation to them. He used two verses. That's it. Well, it wasn't verses because at that time they weren't broken down in verses, but that's all he used. Just that. And in that, they received his word, his explanation, and that was enough. They acted on that. Because therefore, if God states that salvation had come to the Gentiles then is no longer an issue to argue and debate. It's a fact. It's reality. It's truth. It's interesting. James, it says here, concludes the matter. In verse 19, it says, Therefore, my judgment is. He concludes the matter, and all are in agreement. This is important to note because James didn't simply opine. It wasn't just his opinion that he was offering. This was a judgment. And it is therefore agreed. Agreed by biblical scholars. That this implied that James had a significant position among the council. He was a man who spoke with great authority. Not because he was the brother of Jesus. By the way, James and Judas, or Jude, they they were brothers, half-brothers of Jesus. But it wasn't because of that. Remember that none of Jesus' household believed in Jesus until the resurrection and the ascension. It was after that. And James, at this point, has a significant position of authority within the church in Jerusalem. And he spoke with authority. And he concluded. What was the conclusion? Number one, don't trouble them by requiring them to observe the Mosaic law. Festivals, circumcision, etc., Basically, he was saying Peter, Paul, and Barnabas, they were all right. What is it that they said, though? This, this, is, this is what you are to observe, though. This is what you are to abstain from. Things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. This means that although they were not required to observe the law to be saved, it was reasonable to expect of them to avoid offending their Jewish brethren and to avoid destroying the church's witness. That is what 
was reasonable to expect of them to do. The four abstentions had to do with ceremonial laws found in Leviticus 17 and 18. And three would impact the sharing of common meals between Jew and Gentile. So remember to not forsake the assembly of of ourselves. We are to come together and have fellowship. And now Jews and Gentiles were brought together, removed from the nations, brought together by faith in Jesus Christ. And so therefore, there shouldn't be any obstacles to them coming together and having fellowship, breaking bread. This was their only concern. This was it. The other law was a moral law regarding sexual immorality. Now, this was an issue among the Gentiles. They looked at marriage and intimacy very different than the Jews did. And so this was addressed and said, hey, listen, you can't marry within your own family in other forms of fornication and sexual immorality is not to be observed any longer by the Gentiles. You are to remain pure in that sense. Marriage is between a man and a woman, a man and a woman. One, one, right, from the very beginning. So they were not bound by the law of Moses, but they were bound by something else. You know what you're bound by? The law of love. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, which we do that very well, right? But also to the interests of others. If your insistence on exercising your liberty destroys the church's witness and unnecessarily offends your brethren, then I would urge you to consider the judgment we have before us. As Paul wrote to the Gentile believers in Corinth, he reminded them that they were under the law of love. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 23 says, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. And so we ought to consider those things that are helpful and build up amongst each other. That we ought to consider one another above ourselves and bless the Lord in exercising that love toward one another. You see, just as the Gentiles did not have to become Jews to be Christians, the Jews did not have to forsake the Mosaic law in order to become Christians. It just took on a different meaning. We have a Messianic Jewish congregation. That's Simcha. I love my brothers and sisters there. And they, they're believers in Christ. They're born-again believers. And they observe these festivals. And they're local. It's been a while since we've had fellowship with them. I hope we someday soon have fellowship with them again. But I, I, I love to see how it is that they celebrate. And it's not because they're not celebrating these festivals because they have to. It's because they get to. And, and it has a meaning of, of they already know it's the, the fulfillment of prophecy in Jesus Christ. And so they sing with great joy in great anticipation to one day, very soon being in the glory of God. The Messiah has come. And he's died on the cross for you and I to give us away to the Father. The law was not observed to attain salvation. But they were now celebrating Jesus as they observed these festivals. As God's word fulfilled in Christ Jesus and the Gentiles were told to abstain from what they were accustomed to doing in order for Jew and Gentile to be able to come together in fellowship and worship God together. That's what was of great concern to the council. Hey, listen, don't do anything that would offend and defile your brethren. They're still going to observe these festivals, these rituals. It's going to take on a whole different meaning. But don't do anything that would 
put an obstacle in your way of coming together and having fellowship with them. That's what the greatest concern was. And so, in verse 21, it says here, it's, it's for this reason. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogue. So in other words, there were Jews everywhere, in every city. And so as they came to faith, they wanted to ensure that fellowship took place between Jews and Gentiles. So the decision was made because of that. The decision was made and the letter was delivered. Verse 22, let's continue. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas leading men among the brothers with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And verse 31, And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. The decision, as we know, was that the Gentiles were not under the obligation to keep the Jewish rituals, but they were under the obligation to preserve the fellowship of the saints and consider others above themselves. The only thing they were to forsake are the liberties they had in Christ for the sake of others. Are we willing to do that? You know, we have such great liberty. We really do. But are we ready and willing to forsake those liberties for the sake of others? Coming to faith, growing in the Lord, not putting obstacles in front of them. You know, Romans 13.8 says, Oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. And so Paul and Barnabas and others, they, as we see here, arrived back in Antioch and addressed the church by reading the letter from the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. And we won't go over it again. We've already gone through it. But I do want to point some things out. Number one, they addressed the people that had troubled them. So they pointed them out. And in other words, they were saying, hey, we're sorry that they troubled your hearts and your minds. And, and then they stated, but we had not sent them. They did not come in our name. We had not authorized them to come to you. Secondly, it says here they were all in agreement on the conclusion of this matter And they had themselves sent men to communicate their judgment by letter. And separately, others will confirm this verbally. They will say the same thing. But thirdly, judgment was made with the direction and by the direction of the Holy Spirit. Who led them in all truth, according to scripture. And the judgment that we have already covered was read to them. Simply, clear, it was to the point. There's no lengthy letter. That was it. Just done. It's done and over with. And they concluded this letter by saying, if you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. With that, it was as if the the believers in Antioch, they they were so relieved. Can you imagine the tension? There goes Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem to find out if maybe they're even saved. Right at that point, they didn't know. Wow, you know, there was such, such a, a, a dispute that we witnessed. And now they're going to Jerusalem. And now they're, they're back. So, so what is it, Paul, Barnabas? What, what do we have? And well, let us read you this letter. And as they read the letter, 
And they concluded the letter with that. There was great rejoicing because there was such a relief among the brethren there in Antioch. It was encouraging. Salvation was by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. The judgment had been found in the sound word of God, and therefore it was built on solid ground that was unchanging and immovable. It was a done deal. Is that kind of uh, that, that, that the kind of rejoicing that you have? Think about how much of an impact that would have in your daily living if that's the way you considered life. That it was a gift from God. Today is a gift from God. What are you going to do with today to bring Him glory? To respond to the love that you were first demonstrated. Oh, if today was all you had and tomorrow was not, what would you do with today? But today is all we have. Tomorrow is not promised. To put off what we can do today for tomorrow is to be a fool. To think that we can put off salvation to tomorrow is gambling on something that we are not certain of. Oftentimes we think that we possess things, that they are ours when they are not. We are simply stewards of every good thing, including our lives. Because if life belonged to you, you would be able to keep it. And you would determine what day you died and how long you lived and to what degree you lived and your health and all of that. Does it belong to you? You soon realize that life does not even belong to you. For there is a determined time and day in which we breathe our last year on earth. It could be today. Are you ready for eternity? How then will you live today if you knew God's love and that you could be saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ? I ask you and I beg of you, do not play with your life. Well, Paul and Barnabas, Judas and Silas, they took full advantage of the time that they had there. And in verse 32, as we come to a conclusion, and Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets and encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after that, they had spent some time. They were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. So Judas and Silas strengthened the brethren there by confirming what had been read to them, and they were taught by them. They spent a little bit of time with them, so they they taught, they preached the word, and then they went back to Jerusalem. But Paul and Barnabas, they stayed behind, and they strengthened the brethren there. They they took uh, just uh, great joy in blessing the brethren there, sitting down with them, going over... The, the word with them. I, I love when, I, I love going over scripture. Um, sometimes we take full advantage of that. Many times we don't. And when we inquire of the word and seek clarity on it, it's beautiful. This is exactly what was happening there in Antioch. As Paul and Barnabas, they stayed behind. They were studying the scriptures, and Paul and Barnabas were strengthening them by the very word of God. Their fellowship was centered on Jesus Christ. So we see here that the issue was handled correctly and well. The issue was concluded, and the Gentiles rejoiced and were built up in Christ. Dispute, salvation. In the next week, we're going to talk more about a different dispute in the conclusion of this chapter, chapter 15. But I want to go over a few verses with you as we conclude this morning. Please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 17. I know the... um, that James had referred to Amos, but we're going to refer to other scriptures just to kind of just build a good foundation upon which we can build on 
and be assured that we are truly saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17 through 24 says, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him, and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God, but, but keeping the commandments of God, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called as a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Turn back to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. In verse 25. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is circumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Galatians chapter 3. In verse 23. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. And finally, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, which says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And so it is, the word of God, and it is true. Grace. Let us rejoice because we have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, and we are God's people with the hope of being in his glory for all eternity. Father, I pray and I ask that you have had your way this morning with us. Lord, that as you have spoken to individuals, that your word would resonate in our hearts and that we would respond, Lord, in a way that is fitting for the follower of Christ. Knowing that we are at liberty, Lord, to do things that, um, Lord, have nothing to do with salvation. But I pray, Lord, that we would also know that we, would, that we have the liberty to forsake anything that is not of you. For the testimony of our faith to serve as good ambassadors of you and to proclaim with great effectiveness the good news of Jesus Christ to others around us. I pray, Father, that people here, if there's someone here who has not come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, would surrender their hearts to, to him, Lord, knowing that if we confess him 
as Lord and Savior that we will know salvation. I pray, Father, that you would not only bring salvation, but you would also, Lord, bring us to a place of response to that love that we were first demonstrated. And Lord, we as your people, Lord, would bless you and glorify you with our very lives. May we never do anything that compromises or hinders our fellowship. Because by this, all people will know that we are your disciples by the love that we have for one another. Thank you, Lord, for this time. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.